Dear faithful members, and welcome guests of St. John's. As some of you know, I am an avid student of history. I also know that for some of you, history is nothing but a complete bore. And you could care very less when the War of 1812 was fought, or how long the Thirty Years' War lasted, or where the Berlin Wall was located. But I love to dig into the past sometimes and sort of connect the significant events and people into a kind of a puzzle that forms a fabric of the present to help me understand a little bit more why and how things are today. But as this year's Lenten service draws to a critical climax in the last week before Holy Week, Today's scripture lesson strongly urges us to look not back, but look ahead, so that we have a clear vision that is realistic, that is courageous, that is forward-thinking beyond Easter to our own resurrection as well. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament lesson urges us, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past, See, I am doing a new thing. And in today's epistle lesson, we heard St. Paul describe himself as forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And in today's gospel from Luke, Jesus' parable about the wicked tenants asks us to look ahead at the inevitable consequences of those who killed the landowner's son and tried to steal the vineyard. What then will the landowner do to the vineyard people is the question Jesus puts not only to the people of his time, but also to us today. So today let's take a gander at that parable under the theme, Look Ahead. Well, my goodness, whatever happened to Mr. Magoo? Mr. Magoo, you might remember, is a comic figure who is so nearsighted, he can't even see the big nose in front of his face. And consequently, he was stumbling around like I did before, knocking things over, completely misinterpreting everything that he sees because he thinks it's something else. What is in somewhat that same comic fashion that Jesus creates the character of the myopic vineyard tenants in today's parable who couldn't see the obvious consequences of their corrupt actions. Contextually, this and all but one of the many parables that Luke tells in his gospel all occur after that significant landmark statement in the end of chapter 9 which says, And from that time forward, Jesus set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem. Everything else now is recounted on that journey. And by the time we get to chapter 20, which is 10 chapters later, we find that Jesus has already finished the journey. He's gone from Galilee to Jerusalem. 
He's triumphantly entered the city, which we'll celebrate next Sunday on Palm Sunday. And he's kicked out the bankers and the business people and all their wares from the temple to the consternation of everyone. Now in the days following, where does he appear? Believe it or not, right there in the court of the temple, which is somewhat akin, I think, to having a Trump rally in front of the Democrat headquarters. All the fractured uh, little uh, segments of the society, the, the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Essenes, the priests, the scribes, and so forth, now all carry on a constant contested debate with Jesus, trying to get him to make judgments on lose-lose situations, such as, is it really lawful to give taxes to Caesar or not? They try to demean his authority. By what right do you do the things you do, they ask, and trying to discredit him in some sort of major gaffe or mistake. Well, Jesus is well aware of their motives. The motives of these short-sighted leaders and is presently, they are pre presently preoccupied with a plan to kill him but find it impossible to accomplish because of the high poll ratings that Jesus has among the common people. And it is into this kind of a cauldron that Jesus continues to stir the pot as he throws in this bitter pill of a predictive parable whose conclusion shocks his hearers and identifies and exposes his antagonists as the short-sighted tenants in the parable. As we peel back the layers, the meaning of the parable becomes apparent. The owner of the vineyard is, of course, God. The owner of the vineyard is the one who's, by whose grace and loving kindness the people of Israel were selected to be his beautiful vineyard. And God does all the hard work. He creates the vineyard. He's building it stone by stone, throwing in the dirt, finishing it off, making sure everything is planted. And when everything is done, then he turns it over to the leaders of Israel who are the tenants in the parable. The treatment of the servants sent to collect the owner's share of the harvest by the tenants is a clear description of the vicious treatment of the Old Testament prophets. And it seems the details of this parable are almost incredulous. For example, what sensible owner would send his only beloved son into that kind of turmoil that was already criminal and dangerous? Are the tenants realistic in thinking that if they kill the son, they're actually going to inherit the vineyard? And did the tenants actually believe that the owner would not retaliate? Their Mr. Magoo approach did not look ahead 
to see what was inevitable for them. The giving of the vineyard to others after unfaithful administration certainly reflect an early church's explanation of the unbelief of Israel and the transference of the vineyard to the church. When interpreting a parable of this kind, it's always important to ask, who is the leading character? And as we heard last Sunday in the parable of the prodigal son, we found out that perhaps it wasn't the prodigal son at all, it was the waiting father. Very likely in this parable also, it's not only about the wicked tenants, but it's about the patient landowner. After his apparent folly of many sendings and finally sending his only beloved son, the question in verse 13 that Jesus asks the reader is not only what will the owner do in response, which is obvious, but what kind of a person is that landowner? His patience and repeated efforts suggest that perhaps he's some kind of naive fool. And thus it engages us in a much larger question, namely, what do we think of God? How do we conceive of him? Rather than solely an attack on unbelieving Israel for rejecting him, Jesus now presents God as one who's longing for a response to his gifts of love and mercy. His ultimate stimulus in sending his own sacrificial son was the result not of a naive mistake, it was that of a deliberate plan. So by his son's glorious and triumphant resurrection, God has done all the hard work for us. He has built us into his vineyard. He has soaked the soil of our faith with baptismal water. And we have become that new thing that Isaiah predicted in today's Old Testament lesson. So as workers in the vineyard today, we are reminded and urged to look ahead and be faithful responders to and stewards of the gifts that God has entrusted to us and to treasure the gift of life and forgiveness and grace, which becomes part of our total being. Jesus warns everyone, even those of the new community of faith, which is us, against the naive notion that God's patience will last forever or that God does not have the capability of claiming ownership of all created things. And so, dear saints of St. John's, when you leave the worship service today, go out and get into your car to leave, I ask you to do two things. First, notice how big your windshield is in comparison to the rearview mirror, which is very small. And that is a parable in and of itself. 
Yes, we need that rearview mirror to look back for safety and guidance. But it's much more important to be looking ahead to all that is in store for us in terms of God's gift of grace, all the opportunities we have as a vineyard to be planted where we are and let others grow with us. So that with St. Paul we can say, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called you heavenward. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all our human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until he comes again. Amen. <laughs>